So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Just a, a, a recap of the sermon series that we've been considering the past few weeks. Two weeks ago, we began with getting refocused on some of the basics of the Christian life. And I said that at the outset of a new year, a new ministry here, new era in the life of Zion Reformed Church, it would be good to take time to refocus on some of these basics of the Christian life. And we, we broke that down essentially to three things. If you think about the Christian life, you can think about three things in particular, namely the Word of God, prayer, and fellowship. And two weeks ago, we considered from Psalm 1 the blessedness uh, that we receive in Christ by delighting in the Scriptures. And that took us then from word to prayer last week from Daniel 9. And how as we focus intently upon the supremacy of God over all things, even as we read of it in Scripture, that should, should fuel and form our prayers as His people. And today, we conclude our series by considering this third essential uh, and basic of the Christian life from 1 Thessalonians 5, namely Christian fellowship. But before we go any further, let me just take a moment and define for you what I mean by Christian fellowship, what the Bible means by it. I think a lot of times we tend to limit our thinking of fellowship to something we do on a Sunday, uh, or maybe just that time, maybe after a Sunday for a potluck or some kind of fellowship meal. Um, now, it's not less than hanging out together as Christians, all right? It certainly encompasses that, but it's so much more. The, the biblical notion of fellowship is a very deep and broad notion. The word for fellowship in the New Testament, you may have heard it before, it's the Greek word koinonia. And it comes from the, the Greek adjective koinos, which means common. And so the first thing we need to think about when we think of fellowship together as Christians is, are those things that Christians share in common? And if you just think about the New Testament for a moment, how many things Christians have in common that's unique to Christians? Right, you, you, you think about the ways in Acts 4, how Christians would... They would go so far as to share material possessions with one another. And the, the, the scriptures speak of sharing one another's burdens in Galatians 6 and sharing together in sufferings, 2 Corinthians 1. And we also share in our joys, don't we? We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. Biblically, fellowship is sharing our very lives together as God's people. And the fundamental thing that Christians share together, what distinguishes our fellowship from the fellowship of the world is this. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, many people have just simply referred to Christian fellowship as the gospel and community. And that's what we do as God's people. And it's not just a one-day-a-week thing, is it? As we'll see. That's why, that's why people who have such little in common from a worldly perspective, have a tremendous amount in common from a gospel perspective. I remember the first time I met my brother-in-law, who is from China, a number of years ago, back when we lived in Indiana. The first I, He was a believer in Christ at the time I met him. And we didn't share anything in common from a worldly perspective. Maybe fishing. But beyond that, I mean, he was from a very different background, a very different upbringing, different country, different culture, different ethnicity, different race. I mean, we, have, we had different languages. He didn't even speak English at the time. I took him to Bass Pro Shops and we found a common language at that time. 
But what we had in common was Christ. And that immediately broke through all the, all the worldly barriers to biblical fellowship together. Isn't that amazing? How the gospel of Jesus Christ transcends everything. It is the all-encompassing trump card. And it brings us into an unshakable oneness with one another. Whether you're from China or from Istanbul or from Michigan, wherever you're from, we have a oneness in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what true Christian koinonia is, isn't it? True Christian fellowship. And I want to consider this morning one of the ways in which we express our fellowship with one another by looking at 1 Thessalonians 5. So I'm going to focus mainly on verses 12 through 14. Okay, But I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 and I'm going to read down to verse 15. Friends, this is God's Word to us. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you're doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the ways You instruct us individually in this room but corporately as a church. And help us by the power of Your Spirit to see more of Christ and His Gospel and to be knit closer together as brothers and sisters for the glory and honor of Your name, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we titled the sermon this morning, The Shared Responsibility of Shepherds and Sheep. So you, you, you see those two groups there. Look, at, look again at verses 12 to 14. You'll notice in verse 12 that the apostle addresses the congregation as brothers. Okay, and you're, you may have a footnote that says brothers and sisters. It's just a way of describing every member of this Thessalonian congregation. Paul here 
is addressing each one of us as members of the church of Jesus Christ. He does it in verse 12. He does it again in verse 14. So he addresses the first group as the, the, the congregation as a whole. But there's, there's a second group here in this passage. You see those in verse 12. The second group is identified as those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So two groups here, shepherds and sheep, or pastors and members, clergy and lady, whatever you want to use for those two groups. But both groups have a shared responsibility. And the responsibility is this. Both groups are called by God to care for the souls of believers. Look at verse 12. You'll see the word admonish, referring to what the the shepherds do and admonishing members of the congregation. But look at verse 14. Paul uses the same word and he says that's exactly what every believer is to do for one another. So there's a, a distinction in the church between shepherds and sheep, but there's also a commonality between the two. There's a shared responsibility to seek the spiritual well-being of others. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. I want to focus on how God calls each of these groups, shepherds and sheep, to fellowship with one another by caring for each one's spiritual well-being. So look with me then at verses 12 and 13 at, at how God calls shepherds, these pastors or elders, these leaders in the church, to care for the sheep of God that He's entrusted into their care. And the first question we have is this, who are the shepherds? Now, you don't see the word shepherds there, but what we do have in verse 12 is a description, a description of this group. And I think what Paul is referring to here is an office in the church. And the Bible uses a number of words to describe this group, this this group of men who do these things in the church. It refers to them as shepherds at times. It refers to them as elders and as overseers, as pastors. Each one of those words is getting at a different angle, looking at a different facet of their work, right? But it's all referring to the one and the same office. And and notice also, there isn't just one, right? He he speaks of those who do these things. There's a a plurality of these shepherds. It's oftentimes called the plurality of elders. God, in His grace, has gifted His church with not one leader, but a whole council of leaders. And one of the things that we're going to rejoice in tonight at the ordination and installation services is how far-reaching that is. We've got brothers coming from various places throughout the, throughout the state and throughout the country uh, to fellowship together. And these are leaders that we read of here in this passage. So this doesn't apply to the, the so-called head pastor only, but this is to all the leaders in the church, to all the elders to all the shepherds. So that's who he's referring to in verse 12, but what is it that that God has called these shepherds to do as they seek to care for the souls of God's people? Well, I see three things in this text that God calls shepherds to do in the lives of the sheep. And the first Paul mentions in verse 12 is hard work. You see, look again at verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. Or your text might say, diligently labor or work hard among you. It's the same word Paul uses in 2 Timothy 2.6 when he speaks of the hard-working 
farmer who ought to have the first share of his crops. Now, as a farming community, I, I think that's a helpful illustration for us. As we see the farmer out in the field laboring, hours on end, doing very difficult, hard work. Now, I didn't grow up on a farm, but my dad did. And one of the things that I highly respect about my dad is his work ethic. I mean, whatever he's doing, he is working very hard. That's the way a good shepherd is to to work in his church. He labors among the sheep. But then, the ways in which he labors... Paul, Paul defines for that very clearly in 1 Timothy 5.17. There he uses the same word, but he refers to the, the shepherds, the elders, who, who work hard in the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. And so, in particular, the work of shepherds and the caring of the spiritual well-being of the sheep is that they labor diligently to take the Word of God and to apply it into the lives of of God's people. So that's the first thing we see. They're to work hard, laboring and preaching and teaching and applying God's Word. But there's a second thing we read here. Verse 12. Those who labor among you, and secondly, who are over you in the Lord. I've just simply titled that leading with authority. The word translated over you here is just one Greek word. It's used in 1 Timothy 3 to talk about how One of the qualifications for an elder in the church is that he must be able to manage, that's the same word, to rule over his household well. And the argument Paul makes there is that that's a prerequisite for being able to manage and rule well in the household of faith. So if you can't manage your own household well, Paul says, how will you be able to manage the household of God? The word means to lead or to rule or to manage, but we we do so as leaders... With authority. But notice, look again at verse 12. The authority is in the Lord. And that should remind us two things. Number one, the authority that our shepherds have in the church isn't in themselves. Right? The leaders of the church are sinners just like everybody else. We're no better than anybody else. We're not spiritually above anybody else by something that we have in us. But our authority is in Christ. And the second thing that reminds us is we have a limit on the scope of that authority. When our authority is in the Lord, that means we exercise authority according to Christ's Word, according to His commands, according to His instructions. That's why we labor diligently as elders to study the Scriptures and to apply the Scriptures, Christ's rule in the lives of His people. So they're to work hard, they're to exercise leadership with authority, but third, they're to admonish the church. Now, literally, that word is is to warn. To warn of what? Well, to warn of some potential threat that the sheep are getting themselves into. If you're a shepherd and you have sheep and the rocks and crevices, wolves, you need to warn the sheep of the dangers out there. But also, it speaks of, of warning someone about the consequences of, of sinful behavior and sinful patterns. But the goal of that warning, brothers and sisters, the goal of those admonitions in the Lord is always the spiritual well-being and good of Christ's sheep. But listen to how Paul puts this, puts this in Colossians 1.28. It says, Him we proclaim, warning, same word, 
everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So their hard work, they're exercising authority in the church, and they're admonishing, they're warning the sheep. That's all given as a responsibility to them by God for the good of each and every one of God's sheep. Now those three things Paul mentions are just a, just a snippet of what we could talk about about the role of shepherds in the church. There's a lot more that we could say about the ways in which God calls shepherds to rule in the church. But that's all I'm going to say about shepherds. That's it. For two reasons. One, I'm sure if you come back this evening, you're going to hear a lot more about the role of shepherds at our ordination service. I don't want to steal any thunder from my brother tonight. But secondly, the more importantly, that's all the text says. Right? If you notice, the text doesn't address the leaders. If you look back at verse 12, he's addressing the congregation. He says, we ask you brothers, speaking about every member. And he speaks indirectly about the role and responsibilities of, of the leaders. So we can glean from those statements, but let's not miss the focus. The focus here is on Christian fellowship of the whole body. Paul is addressing with the commands and the exhortations here, not, not the leaders, but all the sheep. And as leaders, we fall into that group as well. So let's, let's look then at the responsibility of, of shepherding souls, of caring for the spiritual well-being of others that God places upon each and every one of us as brothers and sisters in Christ. So there's, there's a two-fold responsibility, I think. For every member of the congregation, I think in verses 12 and 13, God places upon us a responsibility to our leaders. But then in verses 14 and 15, he places upon us a responsibility for one another. So look with me then, first of all, at at our responsibility as sheep to the shepherds who lead us. And although all of God's people are called to serve other believers for their spiritual being. Not all, not all of God's people are called to do that in the same way. That's why there are two groups here, not just one. God has a special group that He calls by His grace and for His glory to do this full-time in the church. Now, they may not be paid full-time. They may have another job. But their primary function in the church is to exercise these kinds of leadership roles as shepherds. So, not all of God's people are called to do these things. There is a special group of ordained servants in the church, no doubt. There's a biblical distinction between clergy and laity. And specifically here, we're called to respect the elders of the church for the work they do. You see that in verse 12, where he says, respect your leaders. But then in verse 13, he says, esteem them very highly in love. So just first of all, a very practical way we as a church can do that for our leaders. And the first way is this. We can get to know them. In fact, that's what the word means here in verse 12. It means to know fully. To respect them by knowing what they're called to do. So studying the Word. Looking at their job description as God lays it out in the Scriptures. Know how they do it in your life. Know the ways in which your shepherds have been shepherding you for your good. Meditate on those things. Know what they need to do better, because we're sinners, and we have much we need to do better. 
but for the purpose of praying for those needs. As, as a co-shepherd in this congregation, I can say that we have many needs and we need your prayers. And so you can, you can know us in that way in order to pray for us. And then secondly, express your love to them. Isn't that what Paul says here? Respect them in love. The Lord has greatly blessed Zion Reformed Church with good, wise, faithful, godly elders. Now, that was apparent to me from the day that I first had a conversation with these brothers. And it has continued to show itself in every interaction I've had with them since I've come. We had our first elders meeting the other night. I saw it again. God has blessed you, Zion Reformed Church, with faithful elders. And I want to encourage you to express your love for them in Christ. Esteem these men very highly, not because they're better than anybody else. We're all sinners. But because God says that we should esteem these men highly for their work. It is my privilege to serve along with these brothers in the work of the church. And I can tell you, it means a lot when you hear the sheep encouraging you and supporting you and esteeming you. Because what Christ is doing in and through you for the good of His people. So express your love to these brothers. Find ways to know them, to respect them, to submit to them, to encourage them, to pray for them. And to do so as brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's the first thing Paul calls us to do, to, to respect those who shepherd us. But now notice the second, verse 14. The verse 14 calls the sheep to pursue the spiritual well-being, not just of the shepherds, but of one another. So he says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, Help the weak and be patient with them all. So, I want to pull three points from that admonition. Three points before we close. The first is this. Ministry is not just for the ministers. You see, when he addresses the brothers, he's addressing the entire congregation, as we've said. Now, a a very common scenario in the church runs something like this. To, To miss this point, looks something like this in the church. When... Suppose a member notices that another member's gone missing for some time. Or maybe that member notices another member is just plainly down and out. Something's wrong in this person's life. So often, the first inclination of that member is to go to who? To go to one of the leaders, one of the professionals, right? And to say, well, could you go and visit this person? Or can you go and speak to that person? Well, let me just say, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with going to the spiritual leaders to, to be equipped and, and helped in the shepherding of God's people. But what this passage calls us to do is not simply go to the so-called professionals, right? But to go ourselves. Notice, notice who was receiving the commands in verse 14. This isn't given to the leaders. This is given to each and every one of the sheep of this congregation. Now, it may be that a visit from one of the Elders or pastors may be helpful in that situation, but you know what? Beloved, God has gifted you by His Spirit with unique gifts and past experiences that He intends for you to use. Maybe the visit needs to come from you. Maybe the word of admonition 
or encouragement or help are, are better received from your lips than they could ever be received from the lips of the shepherd. The Lord has equipped His people to build up one another in the Lord. Now, I love how Paul speaks of it in Ephesians 4. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4. This relationship between shepherds and sheep and this shared responsibility. He says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. When church is going the way it ought to, in terms of fellowship, the, the, the leaders are equipping God's people to go out and to minister to one another and to build one another up in the faith. Just an illustration of this. I was talking to a brother recently and his, his experiences in his life enables him to speak into the lives of people that I would never be able to speak into the lives of. I mean, just think of the ways in which God calls women to minister to other women. There are places pastors just can't go. There's things that we just can't address that we are dependent upon the body as a whole, to come together and to build one another up in the faith. So, brothers and sisters, God has gifted you and He's called you to use what He's given you to minister to the well-being of others. And that's exactly what the text says. Look again at verse 14. He addresses a variety of needs in the congregation. Just look at the three groups he mentions. He mentions the idle, first of all, referring to those among us who are particularly struggling with literally laziness. He speaks of the faint-hearted. Those who are downcast emotionally. Those who are downcast spiritually. He addresses a third group. He addresses the weak. Now, he may be referring to those who are physically weak, and we have those among us, don't we? but also those who are weak in the faith. You know, pastors are often called physicians of the soul. That's a, that's a helpful way of thinking about the job of the elders in the church. But I, I want to say there's a real sense in which all Christians are meant to be physicians of the soul. And one thing every physician needs to know is that he has to diagnose according to the individual. You don't just start going out trying to treat people without getting a right diagnosis of the need. You wouldn't want to go to a doctor who just writes out prescriptions without knowing what your issue is, without knowing what the problems are, what are the underlying causes. How can this physician take this soul and care for the needs of that individual? Well, that's a very helpful analogy, I think, for what we're called to do as Christians. Paul is telling us that there's a variety of needs in your brothers and sisters in Christ. Not everybody has the same need. Not everybody's at the same point in their faith. And we need to recognize that. One person might be entangled in sin. The other person may be just grieving the loss of a loved one. What is it that's keeping them from the fellowship of God's people? What is it that's got them down? It's not the same for each person. And I think that's the most helpful point from the Apostle Paul here to recognize the diversity of needs in the congregation, but also the diversity of ways in which God calls us to address those needs. So look at the three different ways in which Paul calls us to address these individuals. He uses three different verbs. The first is this, admonish, warn. It's the same verb, the same action, the same responsibility given to the shepherds in verse 12. 
Now, this is especially appropriate for the group he connects it with. Notice, he doesn't say admonish the faint-hearted. He says admonish the lazy or the, the idle. This is especially appropriate for those who are entangled in persistent, ongoing sin. They need to be warned of the dangers of their behavior and of their choices. Warned in a loving way, but warned nonetheless. There needs to be sensitivity there, no doubt. But it needs to be done in love. I think of all of them, this is probably the hardest one for us, isn't it? It's difficult to go to somebody you love and to admonish and to warn them for something going on sinfully in their lives. But, you know, the Bible gives us ways in which we do that. Matthew 18, a number of other passages. But that's what we do when we love another person in Christ, isn't it? Now, I wouldn't be a very loving father if I didn't warn my children not to play near the street or not to touch the outlet that has the things plugged into it. I would not be a loving father if I didn't warn them and admonish them when I see them doing things like that. Well, how much more for brothers and sisters in Christ who are in grave danger because of their choices and behavior that we should go to them in love and seek to restore such a one. And the same is true in the church. So that's the first thing. We should be admonishing and warning one another. But second, Paul calls us to encourage one another. Sometimes it's not a sober warning that someone needs, but it's a word of encouragement. Just, just to come alongside that person and to remind them afresh of the Gospel. To remind them afresh of the, the blessed implications of the Gospel. And this is especially true for people that are grieving, for those struggling with illness, ongoing, persistent pain and difficulties in life, those who have come upon hard times, those whom Satan is attacking. We need to encourage these brothers and sisters. It's so important that we cultivate at Zion Reformed a culture of encouragement for one another. So admonishing, encouraging, and then helping. Literally, hold firmly those who are weak. I like the way Leon Morris comments on this passage. He says, The thought is that it is good for weak souls to know that there are others who are with them, who will cleave to them in the difficult moment, who will not forsake them. Sometimes a person needs new data to be corrected. Sometimes the person just needs to be reminded that you are with them. That you're holding up their arms like Aaron did for Moses. Remember that account where during the long battle, as it went on and on and on, his arms become weary and, and, and Aaron was there to hold up his arms. We need to be there for our brothers and sisters to hold those arms up when they're weak. God using us as instruments of grace in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. These are just a variety of the needs, a variety of the ways in which we must seek to minister to the, to the needs of the congregation as a whole. Working together with the shepherds, but as sheep working diligently, nonetheless, for the spiritual well-being of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all sinners. We all need this. 
for ourselves, don't we? But we also need to be giving it for the good of others. I want to close with a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a German Lutheran pastor and theologian, but he was imprisoned during the Second World War as one of those who opposed the the heinous and evil practices of, of Hitler's regime in Nazi Germany. He was imprisoned later on in life, and he was eventually executed for standing up for what the gospel calls us to and the ways in which a government should function. And his personal experience with oppression, with suffering, with the various ways in which Satan attacked him and the believers in that country taught him much about the blessed, gracious gift of Christian fellowship. And his insights into Scripture and his experience enabled him to to speak authoritatively into the notion of Christian fellowship. he He referred to it as a gift of God's grace, but he also recognized the reality that as good as Christian fellowship gets this side of heaven, it's never going to be perfect. We're not going to be perfect until we get to be with Christ and get those resurrected bodies and all things are made new. Right now, we enjoy the blessedness of Christian fellowship in a fallen world. And here's what he wrote. He said, Christian community is like the the Christian's sanctification. It's a gift of God which he cannot claim Only God knows the real state of our fellowship, of our sanctification. What may appear weak and trifling to us may be great and glorious to God. Just as the Christian should not be constantly feeling his spiritual pulse, so too the Christian community has not been given to us by God for us to constantly be taking its temperature. The more thankfully we daily receive What is given to us, the more surely and steadily will fellowship increase and grow from day to day as God pleases. That's a very helpful word from a brother who knew this well. I think what he's saying is this. If Christian fellowship is to flourish here at Zion, we mustn't focus on the fellowship itself. We're going to see our imperfections. We're going to see our struggles. We don't focus on the fellowship itself, but we focus on Christ. We look to Him. We trust in Him. We give thanks to Him for His grace. And as we deepen our fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, whose body we are a part of, we'll find thereby that we'll begin to deepen our fellowship with one another in the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of these things for hell-deserving sinners like us. What a gracious Christ we have. Let's pray. Lord, we do come before You as Your people, thanking You and praising You for the marvelous gift of Christian fellowship and and the variety of ways in which You've equipped Your body by the Spirit and light of the Gospel to be expressing our love for You in loving one another, serving one another, ministering to one another, building one another up, and doing all of these things for Your great glory and for our good. In Jesus Christ alone we pray. Amen.